What are you talking about? Real spiel. Yes, real. Yes, yes, real indeed. Much love, respect, and appreciation to those of you tuning into the podcast. We have a huge weekend in sports coming up, so I'm going to get right into it starting this Saturday with UFC 246. Conor McGregor, Mystic Mac, the legend, is making his triumphant return to the octagon after a three-year layoff. Good Lord, can you believe that? Three years. If I stop doing anything for three years, you best believe I'm not picking that back up, especially something like fighting. And typically in these type of matchups, when someone has been outside of the ring for that long, or octagon in this case, I go with the more active fighter. And that would be Cowboy, Donald Cerrone, in this matchup coming up Saturday. Uh, Cowboy is a tough fight for anyone at 170 pounds. All right, He's no slouch. You know, he might be a little long in the tooth, a little more seasoned than he once was. But he's got the most knockdowns, most knockouts by kick. You know, a bunch of other UFC records that I'm not going to get into because this ain't that type of show. Um, The X's and O's of the sport don't interest me as much as the body language of Conor McGregor entering this week. All right. It's a much more humbler Mr. McGregor than we're used to seeing. All right. A lot of humility, a lot of appreciation for being a part of the promotion and showing love to other fighters and you know, he's not even wearing anything that outlandish, you know, against Floyd Mayweather that whole week. He coming out in coats with no shirt on, showing a tiger tattoo, shades on indoors. And, you know, now he's talking about his kids and, you know, his longtime partner, D. Devlin, and just everything, you know, his, his coming up in Cage Warriors. I, I love this version of Conor. You know, it's taking me back to the Conor McGregor that fought. Dennis Seaver and Chad Mendez, but even back then he had a little bit more edge to him because he know that he knew, excuse me, that he had to make a name for himself in the sport, right? He was aware of the fact that being a bit of the heel or creating a bit of this toxic energy around the sport to curate headlines like a Chael Sonnen, you know, now Kobe Covington has sort of picked up that mantle and disgusted most people with the way he's done it so that's why i think connor has decided to pull back because he's already a legend in the sport he doesn't need to use those sort of antics to promote fights anymore you know he's already got his what he say he's making for this 80 million if everything goes according to plan so that is if all the pay-per-view numbers does what he expects them to do in australia the uk ireland etc america He's going to see $80 million on the back end of this fight. That's crazy. You know, that's more than most of the roster will make combined this year. So the idea that he would go into this week talking shit about somebody like Cowboy Cerrone, who everybody already has respect for, just going to make himself look worse in the face of all the other bullshit he's been facing in 2019. You know, sexual misconduct allegations, which have been proven false with no, no evidence to back them up. I wasn't there, but... You know, the likelihood that Conor McGregor assaulted some chick is, you know, I always go into this. What's probable and what's possible? Is it possible? Yeah. But what's more likely? In the event of him punching that old man in the bar, yeah, that was an asshole dickhead thing to do. He's going to get his ass punched plenty this year. So, trust me, a lot of fighters are going to get their payback for that. Whether it's Jorge Masvidal, Kamaru Usman, Nate Diaz, Khabib, Donald this Saturday... A lot of fighters are going to be punching Connor this year. He said he's going to be very active. 
I like him to take the John Jones approach this year. Just fight as much as possible and go on this humility tour where, you know, he might even go on Rogan's podcast finally and 100 percent apologize to Joe for calling him out about the way that he was calling some of Connor's fights or, you know, whatever the hell he was saying. I remember last year at some point, Connor was saying, yeah, you know, I got, I got respect for Rogan, but he needs to, you know, be more and more, uh, needs to be more objective when he's calling those fights or some shit like that. I don't know. That was my best Irish accent right there. Rogan, Joe Rogan. But, um, like I said, I like the approach Connor has adopted this week leading up to UFC 246, but it could backfire. From everything I'm hearing uh, from Shab and Ariel Hawani and other MMA media experts like Brett Okamoto and whatnot, when you get into Connor's head or you attempt to get into Cowboy's head, I mean, throughout the course of fight week, he comes in a little more headstrong, similar to the way Connor uh, did Jose Aldo. On you know, UFC 186, I think it was, or 196, whichever one that was, when he knocked him out in 13 seconds. That whole week, he's talking about riding up to his favela on horseback and conquering the Brazilian people and speaking to him in his language. All types of squiduggery, just trying to get into his head and trying to beat him before he enters the ring. So much so that he had the move nailed, anticipating exactly what Jose was going to do in terms of rushing Connor when he entered the ring. And that's exactly what happened. It's kind of like what Jorge had planned out against Askren. He knew exactly what Ben was going to do. In worst case scenario, we'll fight it out over the course of the next five minutes in this round, but you know I'm about that action. You ain't just going to be rushing me. So I like the idea that Connor wants to be more respectful, but if Cowboy is better when you respect him because he's coming from that Cowboy-like mindset and energy where – I'll beat your ass and then share a beer with you right after. You know, it's like rugby players in Australia and even in America. They'll fuck you up and then we'll have a drink and discuss it or not discuss it. Just talk about sports. With Cowboy, you kind of want to, you know, ig him a little bit. You want him to come in on edge because then he'll go against his game plan. I mean, I've heard Cowboy say, I don't watch film. I don't study fighters. That's what my coaches do. They give me the game plan, and I'll go with it if I feel like it's something I can go with. But he's even admitted to the fact that I'm trying to give the fans a show. I'm not here to win by grappling or crotch fighting, even though he knows he has an advantage on the ground. Now, we can get into the X's and O's aspect of how great Connor's ground defense is and how the only fighter to really dominate him on the ground in any real facet is Khabib, and he's done that to everybody, so... Is Cowboy as good at wrestling as Khabib is? No. So who's to say he can even take Connor down if that was the game plan he wanted to implement? We saw what happened to Ben Askren. If you just run at somebody and they know you're going to run at them trying to jump right at their crotch, they're going to jump at you with their knee and knock you the fuck out. Ben learned the hard way. Cowboy's smarter than that. And he even says so in the UFC press conference. Anyone who thinks Cowboy's jiu-jitsu or, or Connor's jiu-jitsu is so bad that he's not going to be able to defend a simple Kimura or armbar or whatever from Cowboy, you're mistaken. Now, he's been out of the sport for the last two years, but don't think he hasn't been training every day like a madman. And I won't say every day because in his 45-minute interview with Ariel Hawani, Connor went over the fact that, yeah, he hadn't been training as much. But he stayed off the proper 12 for the last six months. 
that liquid gold. And uh, he's been preparing for a fight with Ferguson, Jorge, Usman, Justin Gaethje. I mean, there's a lot of action for him that could take place this year if he plays his cards right and if he comes into the ring discipline on Saturday and beats Cowboy. And as Connor said, he thinks he can beat Cowboy standing up on the ground Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at 55, at 170. But the fact he's at 170 scares me a little bit because that speaks to the level of discipline he was willing to exude. You know, maybe he didn't want to cut to that 155 because it was a tough cut. And, you know, he will be a more diminished fighter, but so will Cowboy. I just feel like making 155 is much easier for Connor than Cowboy. So, you know, if he was being smart, like Floyd Mayweather, when he would make Canelo cut, and when he made Connor cut, like, he makes fighters come down to his level so that they are more diminished. But in any case, Connor says he can beat him at any weight. And I do believe he's much faster and much more explosive over the course of two rounds than Cowboy is. But if it goes past that, and we're getting into the nitty-gritty of rounds four and five. You know, we've seen Connor do it before against Nate and against other legendary fighters, but I don't know if he's gonna be able to do that coming off a three-year layoff. I mean, if he does, say he comes out and beats Cowboy in a legendary, you know, three, four, five round bout where he finishes him with a TKO or KOs him in the third round or something like that. Let's say it's a long fight or longer than we're used to with Conor McGregor's history, he's definitely cemented himself as a legend on the Mount Rushmore because to come off a three-year layoff, in my opinion, is one of the toughest things to do in the sport. I mean, we saw Nate Diaz do it against, uh, I think it was uh, Anthony Pettis, who's also fighting on this card, but that that's difficult, man. That's Hall of Fame shit. You know, you got to be someone who's very, very trained. You got to be someone who's very, very disciplined in your cardio to come into the ring after a layoff, really, really long layoff against a good fighter like Cowboy, a Hall of Fame level contender, and dominate over the course of three to five rounds. So if he comes in and does that and puts up one of those fight of the year type performances, just go ahead and pull up the Brinks truck, Dana. Pull up the Brinks truck because Connor's laughing all the way to the bank. It's not like he hasn't been the last two fights. Apparently, he took home $50 million for his fight against uh, Khabib, and that was taking an L. So I can't imagine if he had won what would have happened. But the idea that this man can then set up the rest of the year, like he said, in terms of a football season, Kamaru, Jorge, Justin Gaethje. And I, you can cancel all this humility bullshit. I think from this point on, if he beats Cowboy like I think he can, he goes ahead and just calls everyone out. And says, I'm the real bad motherfucker. The king is back, bitches. It's over for all y'all. And I think that's how he goes throughout his 2020 campaign. Closes it out against Floyd Mayweather in a repeat boxing match. Or maybe against Pacquiao or somebody. Or some type of boxing match. I think that's how he's going to close out 2020. If everything lines up the way he hopes it does. And the way I hope it does, man. The way I hope everything does. The sport is better with Conor McGregor in it. It's just like basketball. Basketball's better when the Lakers, the Celtics, the Knicks, you know, all the powerhouse teams are good. Football's better when the Giants, the Patriots, you know, or when there's some dynasty. When the Cowboys are good, you know, football's better with dynasties. Sports are better with dynasties. Argue it all you want. The statistics, ratings, everything suggests sports are better when there is a dominant figure in it. And in the case of UFC, 
When Conor McGregor is beating people's asses, when John Jones is dominating people, the sport is better, at least to me. But I do like a little bit of uh, muck and a little craziness at the top. And UFC is good for that. There's a whole bunch of contenders at 170. I just named a few. And there's a lot at 155. There's a lot at 135. And 145 is a crazy division right now. Shit, Volkanovski just won the title and took it from uh, Max Holloway, who definitely should get the immediate rematch. Blessed season, blessed era. I think that he could win in the rematch, but New Zealand's on the rise. Australia's on the rise. It's not like they haven't been primary players in the sport in the past, but their fan base and those contenders are starting to win titles now. Israel Adesanya at 185. Robert Whitaker had it for a little bit. I know he just had to pull out a 248. And I saw that it was an undisclosed family issue. And with the bushfires going on there, I don't want to speak out of turn. But ever since he fought Yoel Romero, I will say nothing has been the same. It's like a Drake album. Nothing was the same for bro. And you could say that for a lot of people who fought Yoel Romero. Dude is a brick of iron that you have to break down piece by piece. And I don't know if you know, it's hard to melt iron. Uh... Robert Whitaker said it himself, fighting Yoel Romero was like fighting a piece of steel. And, you know, I I would just say he's had a lot of injuries since then. He definitely lost his title to Israel Adesanya. We all saw that. So, clearly, he's not the same fighter. Uh, I wish him all the best, and I hope he returns to the octagon real strong. And, you know, I love watching him fight. You know, Bobby Knuckles is one of the best strikers in the sport and has some of the best takedown defense. Back to what I was just saying about Connor. Takedown defense is key. So, you know, this Mr. Nice Guy act, he's been uh, facilitating. I, I can be a fan of it, but I'm more a fan of how he's going to attack on Saturday night. Dom Cruz, one of the best analysts in the sport and uh, champion, former champion at 135 himself, says, Connor's got a few tricks up his sleeve. I ran into McGregor and I got to pick his brain. And he How long ago was that? Stuff. How long ago was that? Two days, three days ago. Oh, wow. I was at the USCPI. How's uh, he looking? Filming Unlocking Victory, the show that I did. Yeah, I love that show. And I was breaking him down. And oh, wow. And he was there before oh. that. So I was like, he's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm being you. That's hilarious. <laughs> and so I like picked his brain and I asked him some, some stuff and showed him what I was looking at about his style. Uh, and looking at, at showing, and then he, he he's like, oh, but I'm different. And then I can't give you guys that info, but yeah, I do. He did show me like what's what's going to be different in this fight, and I didn't break that down in unlocking victory because that's that wouldn't be fair. No, you know, that's that not was cool. Give it away. But I did. Yeah. I just went with what I saw. But when he showed me different things, I I appreciated it. It was like a different. Okay, I see where you're going with this. So yeah. it's going to be cool. Keep. Make sure you tune in because he's got some things in store that are a little bit different, that really are different. Yeah. That's from uh, Food Truck Diaries with Brendan Schaub on YouTube. I'm a big fan of Dom, and I think what he has to say has a lot of credence. He got a whole weight in it, so we'll see how that plays out for him. I'm excited about Saturday night. Um, Tonight, we also have some great basketball games. Boston Celtics. Going to be taking on the Milwaukee Bucks. A reigning MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak. Y'all done learned his name by now. It's hard to believe that man's been in the league for seven years now. I mean, I know he's been around forever. I remember when he came in in 2013 and people were talking about he's like 150 pounds soaking wet. And he could barely bench press 185 pounds. It was like him and Kevin Durant. 
some of the weakest players to ever enter the NBA draft. But now look at him. He's baby Shaq. This is what Shaq would be if he was in the league right now. Anybody talking about Shaq wouldn't translate? He, that's him. And me and Jake were talking about that on the last podcast. Uh, Giannis has a crazy skill set, and it's only getting more developed and refined with him shooting threes. Most made this year already in his career. Most attempted. So as he improves, so does the Eastern Conference because he is one of the few shining stars over there. Uh, Orlando Magic going to be taking on L.A. Clippers. Markel Fultz got his game back, but he had a triple-double. A second of his career, I think they said. Uh, 20-something points, 10 assists, 11 rebounds. So it was a baby trip-dub, but a trip-dub nonetheless. Lonzo Ball finally starting to come on for the Pelicans and just in time. For them to make a push for the eighth seed in the West. Because Zion Williamson will be making his a debut. Uh, hopefully January 22nd. Fingers crossed. Now the Pelicans have been anticipating this. Along with the rest of the NBA fan base. With the bated breath of a Shakespearean poet. I definitely hope he stays healthy over the course of an 82 game season at some point. But I do not foresee that ever being the case. Uh, but he is a 280-pound walking, uh, uh, walking miscalculation. You know, like he shouldn't be what he is. But he is this, and he's going to have to figure out how to carry that. And, you know, until he does, he's going to be dealing with some type of injuries. I mean, Pelican's staff is supposed to be t- teaching him how to reprogram his walks. And the way he jumps, basically just recalibrating his kinetic energy or whatever. I'm not, you know, some type of movement specialist, but I do know when you're 19 and you've been walking one way your entire life, it's kind of hard to learn how to walk again. But I know they improve Steph Curry's ankle strength or his bone density or some shit just by the way he squats, you know, the way he shoots. You know, they were talking about the fact that he was putting too much stress on his ankles so now he works out in a way that he was able to strengthen his quads and his knee bones or some shit like the cartilage in his legs is, are stronger now because of the workouts that the Warriors staff was putting him through. So I remember, I mean, it was a time when Steph Curry was only making eight million dollars a year because his ankles were a big concern. And now he's making, you know, what he's making and he became a legend and it's because of. You know, training staffs, knowing what the fuck they're talking about and me not knowing what I'm talking about. So don't listen to me. Well, listen to me, but don't, you know, pay attention to the facts and details and what I'm saying when it comes to physical health and nutrition, because I am not a medical doctor or a physician's assistant or any of that. Denver Nuggets are going to be playing the Golden State Warriors. Golden State's been a tough out. Now, say what you want about Draymond Green, but he's been doing his best every single night. He's the only all-star on the floor to bring these boys along. You know, D'Angelo Russell's been there a lot of nights too, but both of them have been dealing with energy, uh, injuries, so I don't think they've played together much this year. I know Steph hasn't been on the floor, and obviously Klay Thompson's still nursing his ACL rehab. So that team is going to be loaded coming next year. <laughs> I can't wait to see them boys playing with some fire up underneath their ass and you know, a little bit of animosity towards the media that have forgotten about them a little bit, you know, with the new shiny rockets and the new shiny nuggets and, you know, the new shiny Zion and Pelicans maybe making an eight seed. And and there's been a lot of teams, Lakers, Clippers, that have made some noise this year. And everybody forgot about Dre. You know, they're going to make a trade 
using D'Angelo Russell as a chip or they're going to draft somebody because they are going to suck this year and have a decent pick at the front end or back end of the lottery. And, you know, I, I'm just saying, and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here of NBA fans, but the Warriors going to come and they're going to make a lot of loud sounds next year. You know, Oracle's going to, well, is it Oracle? Yeah, whatever new arena they ain't going to be bumping. All right, so Sunday, 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 we have the NFL Championship Weekend taking place. All right, at the top of that block, Tennessee Titans are facing the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead, the true loudest stadium in all of professional football. I know people like to say the 12th man in Seattle and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice, but if you've ever been to Kansas City, you know Arrowhead is definitely the loudest stadium with the truest fan base because they ain't won shit since 1963 when Len Dawson was a quarterback smoking cigarettes at halftime. All right? Kansas City Chiefs have been a tough team to watch throughout the history of that organization's existence. All right, the only thing that they've ever been able to cheer for is the Nigerian Nightmare and Tony Gonzalez before he was winning anything except passing, catching titles. All right? Had Trent Green throwing him the ball. I remember because I was playing that Madden version heavy. All right, a bunch of hot routes, fly, fly routes to Tony Gonzalez, up the seam, up the seam, you know, uh, lob that thing, and then let him jump up and go get it. And he was very, very efficient at going and getting it. As I say all that, the Tennessee Titans have been in a similar boat. Tough organization to watch. All right, to a lot of people who are old school football fans, the Tennessee Titans are still an expansion team. Not to me. You know, I, I remember Music City Miracle. You know, I remember Steve McNair. I remember Vince Young getting his career ruined by Jeff Fisher, Mr. 8 and 8 himself. But what everyone will remember now is King Henry. As they should. King Henry is another anomaly that should not exist in professional sports, similar to Sir Williamson that I was just speaking about. But King Henry is a different type of freak. He's a football freak. And ever since this man was playing football down in Yulee, Florida, and set the state and national record, I believe, for rushing with like 3,000-something yards rushing in one season. Like, it was some crazy number of rushing yards he put up. I knew this man was going to be a beast at the University of Alabama. He went on to win the Heisman. You know, everybody's seen that legendary picture of him next to Mark Ingram when Mark Ingram's looking at him like a, a scarecrow or some shit out in the middle of the field, like Jeepers Creepers. And the dude has been the predator in the league for the last year or two. Everybody wants to talk about the fact that he hasn't been mentioned as a top 10 back because he hasn't played like one consistently. But in the playoffs, he's a monster. And I think it's because this time of year, NFL dudes don't want to tackle him. You know, and I talked to Jake about him in the last podcast. Teams aren't built structurally to defend that type of attack. And that's why the Ravens had so much success this year, and that's why the Titans are having success now. Playing with a lot of nickel defenses, a lot of DBs, a lot of linebackers have gotten smaller so that they can defend the pass more than defend the run. Not as many Erlackers as there are Miles Jacks, and you know dudes are just more agile. But if you got somebody like Derrick Henry or Brandon Jacobs, and I mentioned the 2011 Giants on the last podcast and how this 9-7 Titans team kind of reminds me of them, it's going to be tough for the Chiefs. All right, their favorite at, you know, 7, I would definitely... You know, take the Chiefs with the points. And I'm saying definitely. I mean, I'm talking up the Titans here. 
I would take the Chiefs with the points. I mean, they just put up 51 unanswered against the Texans. And the Texans, you know, obviously had their own problems. Bill O'Brien being principal among them. I get into that on another podcast. But I will say, the Kansas City Chiefs should be favored in this game. And anyone betting the money line should take them with the points. All right? If you are willing to put down $100 and the Titans do win, you can collect three fifty seven right now. All right? That's what Vegas is saying. Man, don't, don't hold me to that. That's on you and yours. All right? That's between you and God and your wallet and your bank account and your cash app. All right? And your bookie. So make it do what it do if you're trying to collect. At 640, the Green Bay Packers are going to be taking on the San Francisco 49ers in Santa Clara. Now, that one's a little bit tougher for me to pick. I could go with the easy headline that the Packers and 49ers played early this year, similar to the Titans and Chiefs. And, yeah, the 49ers dominated. All right, 49ers dominated that matchup. But we are in January. All right, it's a different season now. This is the postseason. That's why they call it the postseason. Aaron Rodgers played better last week than I've seen him play all year. All right, that third down throw to Devontae Adams might be one of the best audibles, you know, you'll see in your football watching history. I'm not going to get into the exact details of that play because anybody who saw the game knows what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, please go back and watch the highlights because the audible to Devontae Adams I just said I'm not going to get into it, and I'm starting to get into it. That's how great it was. All right, Aaron Rodgers is playing like 2010 Aaron Rodgers when they won the damn Super Bowl. He's playing like Pat Mahomes, and that's crazy. That's crazy for me to say, all right, because Pat Mahomes, you know, is him 2.0. If he can come in and you know, the Green Bay front, Brian Bulaga, Boogie, please, please. Your knees just need to hold up one more week. And I'm not saying I'm rooting for the Packers. I'm just rooting for a good game. You know, Jimmy G, you know, I would love for a defensive-oriented and defensive-minded you know, uh, uh, minded team to be at the forefront of all the Super Bowl coverage next week. Obviously, Kansas City facing the 49ers would be a huge contest of offenses versus defenses. You know, that old storyline, the old adage, defense wins game, offense put butts in seats. So that would be a great matchup of heavyweight contenders. But I'm just saying, it would be nice to see Aaron Rodgers get a second ring and cement his legacy as an all-time great because he's one of those players that's in that limbo land between, all right, we know you good, but exactly how good are you? You know what I'm saying? Like, in your prime, I would take you over pretty much every other quarterback but you're kind of overshadowed stats-wise by guys like Manning and Breeze who played in, your, played in your era. And in terms of championships, Brady eclipses all y'all. So when we talk about the early 2000s and the 20-teens, yeah, we'll remember Aaron Rodgers, but he's kind of going to be a figment of our imagination like Dan Fouts. You know, like, yeah, Dan Fouts had a lot of yards, and the Air Coriel offense was transformational in the way that it dictated the way defenses play pass coverage. But I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers and Dan Fouts are the same player. I'm just saying certain guys get forgotten throughout the annals of time. 
Now, Phil Simms won two Super Bowls. How many times you bring up Phil Simms in terms of great clutch quarterbacks in championship games? You know? Now, I know Jeff Hostetler was the starting quarterback for one of those, but I'm just saying, bruh, a lot of quarterbacks get forgotten. And I hope Aaron Rodgers ain't one of them. I would like him to get another title because he is so good, I feel like his greatness dictates winning at least two championships. I mean, hell, if Elway got two, I feel like Aaron Rodgers deserves two, you know? And I know he's played for a more bun franchise in the Green Bay Packers. And I say that a bit facetiously because we know the Green Bay Packers have a long lineage of championship titles. It's not like I'm sitting here crying for you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Kansas City Chiefs or the Tennessee Titans, you know, teams that have never won nothing. But I'm just saying, Aaron Rodgers specifically deserves more. All right, he had to sit out his first five years behind Favre, whiffle waffling about whether or not he was going to play anymore or retire. So, you know, I'm, I'm just rooting for my boy Aaron Rodgers to get one. A lot of people have been slandering his name, talking about the newfangled glory and the Mahomes and the Lamar Jacksons, who I love, big trust. All right, took everything in me not to shed a tear that I won't be seeing the gold chains and the sniper gang shout outs at every single NFL postgame press conference. But I have to, you know, sit with the fact and find something to root for. And I'm doing that with Aaron Rodgers right now. You know, I could say I root for the one last remaining black quarterback standing, and that would be Pat Mahomes. But, you know, he was born with a silver spoon. He got that Steph Curry thing going on, which, you know, I got no problem with. I got no problem with light-skinned athletes, all right? Don't call me racist, all right? This ain't no infighting between black folk. I love all of us. But I'm just saying, if I have to pick my litter between the dude that came from rough, hard, scrabble circumstances like Lamar Jackson, you know, single mom, et cetera, et cetera, you know, Deshaun Watson, those type of dudes that were starting at quarterback versus a Pat Mahomes, you know, whose dad played in the MLB and had a little more support coming up, I'll just say I will pick the Lamar Jackson or the Deshaun Watson. That's all I'm saying. I love Pat Mahomes. You know, best quarterback in the league right now, and I'm picking them to beat the Tennessee Titans and go to the Super Bowl. But I will say I'm rooting for the vet, and that's Aaron Rodgers because this might be his last hurrah, and I think the rest of y'all should root for the vet too. All right? Now, all that being said, the San Francisco 49ers are probably going to vote that ass. Uh, I would say take the points. Uh, they're favored by seven and a half. Definitely a good bet. I mean, damn, the money line is three forty-five. So that means, you know, you got to put down three hundred forty-five dollars just to win a hundred on this. Um, if you are willing to put up the hundred dollars, you'll collect three sixty-five on the Green Bay Packers if they went out right. Uh, the, you know, point spread. I'm not gonna get into all that because it doesn't really matter. Like I say, 49ers are probably gonna win. Take them and the points. There are a few other headlines I want to get to, like. Drew Rosenhaus finally mustering up the courage to fire a client. Antonio Brown, boy, I mean, if your agent fires you, especially one as some would say sleazy as Drew Rosenhaus, I'm not saying that. I'm saying some would say that. You know, he sat outside the University of Miami, sat outside uh, the Dolphins uh, uh, headquarters to recruit clients and uh, I would say poach clients from other agents. But that's neither here nor there. I'm not a professional agent. But I will say, if any professional agent is willing to part ways with a client, there's something wrong with that client. Mentally, physically, there's something going on with that asset. And in this case, that asset is Antonio Brown, who, you know, I said was going to be the best XFL player ever. I don't even think the XFL would take him at this point. Dude out here making rap albums with Sean Kingston. I mean, that's just got to go to personal judgment, bro. Sean Kingston ain't been hot since. Bjorn. 
So if I'm an XFL or NFL GM, I'm not taking a flyer on him. And it seems like agents aren't taking flyers on him anymore either. I mean, Nike parted ways with him. Every team has parted ways with him and cut ties with him. So more power to AB, and I hope he go get the help that he needs to persevere as a black man in society, a rich black man in society. You know, I don't want another one of us to get taken down, especially not through our own devices. But, you know, dude's dug his own grave, and he's going to have to lay in it for a little bit. Speaking of receivers out here tripping, what the hell got into Odell Beckham at the national championship game deciding to hand out cash handshakes? Now, even if in the NCAA they decide to start paying athletes, that's not the way you do it, bro. Why are you making the block hot for the receivers that just won the game? If you really care about them, give them that money inside the locker room. Give them that money after the game. Give them that money at the strip club when y'all celebrating after you just won. Not on the field in front of cameras at CNN. That's just another receiver, diva, making it all about me. Future Antonio Brown? I don't know. As I mentioned earlier, Zion is debuting on January 22nd, and Pelicans only two games out of the eight spot. All right? Lonzo Ball had 17 and 11 the other night. Uh, Brandon Ingram playing like an all-star, or at least baby all-star. There's a lot to like about the Pelicans, and if Zion comes in and does what he's supposed to do and contributes, shit. I like them to, you know, make a little push in the playoffs. And that'll give New Orleans something to cheer about because we all know what happened to them in the playoffs against the Vikings. Kirk Cousins finally got his first win. I didn't have time to talk much about it, but I will say. You like that? You like that? Had to. LaMelo Ball is planning to sit out the rest of the New Zealand professional basketball league season. I don't even know what it calls itself. The NZL. Well, I'm thinking that won't matter much to NBA general managers and league executives. That boy probably going to go top five. Uh, the NCAA tournament will be the true uh, revealing factor in whether or not he's the number one overall pick because there's a handful of guys that could go there. Uh, I know the dude from Memphis and a couple others. I don't follow the uh, high school and AAU recruiting circuit too hard. Other people have to inform me on the specifics around the type of players that are really hitting the wire right now. I know Cole Anthony. I know um, Melo. I know RJ Hampton. I know a couple other major players. But, you know, I like Melo. He's gotten most of the coverage. And if Lonzo went where he went, I think it was, where'd he go, two or three to the Lakers? LaMelo should go two or three. I mean, the kid's just as talented, if not better. Last thing I want to talk about to wrap up the podcast is outcomes, potential outcomes for both fighters. If Connor wins this fight, as I said, he's got the year lined up pretty much the world as his oyster Khabib or Ferguson, depending on the outcome of that bout, Jorge or Usman, depending on how that goes. If they decide to fight for the title, Justin Gaethje sitting out there, there are a lot of fights to be had now. Say he loses. Say Cowboy comes in there and drops his ass. Say Connor's ring rust is a little too rusty. And he doesn't have the requisite skill set to deal with Cowboy on the feet or ground. Then, my friends, I think the only thing left for Connor in the octagon is the trilogy with Diaz. And even that loses a lot of the luster. And, you know, I would say... Connor can sell a million pay-per-view buys in his sleep, but 
it'll be much tougher to sell a dude who hasn't won a fight in three or four years. You know, if he goes in there and takes a lot of damage against Cowboy and loses bad, it, it'd be a tough sell. That's all I'm saying, all right? And obviously, that's worst-case scenario for me as a fan and for the UFC as an organization. And as much as they want to say Conor McGregor's toast, that boy still got all the bread. And I will say that's a line stolen directly from Conor McGregor. I liked it, so I took it. That being said, Cowboy go in there and take an L, everything's fine. Cowboy's taking enough L's. Cowboy's legacy is what it is. He's cemented as the dude who will fight anybody on short notice any given time. This is his payday. This is his opportunity to prove that, hey, I can show up for a big card. Because a lot of people think that sometimes the moment gets a little too big for Cowboy and he's not able to step up in those moments. I disagree. You know, even though the facts would bear out a different outcome, I would say he has the ability to step up in this moment, especially since the birth of his son. He's been a completely refocused individual. But ever since I heard him on Rogan's podcast talking about the near-death experience he had, uh, cave diving or whatever the hell he was doing, because he's a dude that really lives life. Those Budweiser cans being sold in Las Vegas this week leading up to the fight, live a life worth living, that phrase encompasses Cowboy better than any fight phrase or any fighter that has a quote uh, uh, attributed to them better than I can think of. So I say all this to say potential outcomes are the world is the oyster for Connor or pretty much all over, right? I mean, it's all or nothing for him at this point. And that's what makes it so intriguing. Okay. The final thought I'm going to leave everyone with, I wanted to get into, you know, Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyk a little bit, but most of y'all don't even know who Alexander Usyk is. You know, the WBO is mandating that he fight Usyk or give up his title. And I think he's going to give up his title instead of fight him because that's a scary Russian. Nobody likes fighting scary Russians. Uh, all these different fighting organizations mandating shit. I mean, promoters pay and pick officials and judges anyway. So why do they even need these organizations? You know, the president of these organizations get bribed by the casinos. I mean, you can listen to Teddy Atlas, bitch, about this as much as you want, but I agree with them. IBF, I be felonious. WBO, we be Owen. WBC, we be collecting. We be crooks. All of them corrupt. And, you know, those acronyms are as old as boxing. You look at the rules of Queensberry. It's like Senate don't care about boxing, boy. They'll have baseball executives and players on the stand all day talking about PED usage and the sanctity of the game and what about the kids. But, damn, you ain't going to have Big Baby Miller up there talk about how he was taking steroids, about to knock Anthony Joshua the fuck out, ruin this man's legacy, ruin this man's life. You know, they actually punching each other. It's not, it's about more than batting a ball far. You know, but that's America's pastime and boxing is seen as the scoundrels game, you know, for entertaining the wealthy and well-to-do and highfalutin. I'm totally against that point of view because when you are a big-time boxer, everybody respects you and typically the best boxer and if it's a big-time boxer, they're usually the highest-paid athlete on all the Forbes list. You look at Floyd Mayweather, look at Mike Tyson in his prime, the Holy Fields, and all those dudes. So I'm totally against the notion that one sport should be held up on this pedestal as if using drugs and abusing 
PEDs and substances to get the upper hand in that sport is so much worse than doing so in mixed martial arts or boxing. Now, they definitely need to take that shit to the Capitol Hill as well. And that's all I have to say about that. Sorry, that's the end of my soapbox argument for corruption in boxing and why it needs to end. I'm sorry. Just trying to wrap things up. End of my soliloquy to use a very commonly used phrase by Stephen A. Smith. Much love and respect, appreciation to everyone that tuned in. I will be back on Tuesday discussing whatever took place in the NFC and AFC conference championships. Just to reiterate, I am picking the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody's favorite matchup. But watch out for the Titans, man. No, I take that back. I'm picking the Titans. I'll just say it. I'm picking the Titans to beat the Chiefs when they do. Just call me Negradamus. I bury with me when I'm gone, when my story's told. How would they tell it? Would they say I was a giver or remember I was selfish? Would they say I was a sinner or pretend I was a saint? Would I go down as a winner? What's the picture they gon' paint? Wouldn't say that I'm a quitter, that's one thing I know I ain't. Would they tarnish, would they taint? Glorify me, overthink. Say they know me, say I'm great. Say I'm phony, I was fake. Say the things about me that they never told me to my face. I was loved, I was hated. Just a nigga with a dream. I'm a liar, I was honest. I was all of these things when i'm gone let them talk they discussing who i am when they bury me just know i wasn't nothing but a man wasn't nothing but a man it's for them niggas climbing heaven stairwell yeah hey farewell yeah hey farewell yeah. it's for them niggas climbing heaven stairwell uh, i pray you farewell uh, i bid you farewell yeah hey farewell yeah, yeah, if I should die, Lord, this here is my will Reincarnate a nigga, send me right back to the veil Let me relive my younger days just once again Reenact my memories from every friend to every sin Keeping demons buried in my closet But yet I put in work like a deposit on my bank account My eyes lit while I think about my childhood, now I'm blanking out Those were truly my best days The only thing I had to stress was how the hell to get laid Gradually turned into me stressing how the hell to get paid Been making songs so long, now how the hell they get played Okay, I'm blowing up quickly, I guess the flow is sickly But yet I can't forget my past and hope it won't forget me Got good grades, but A's can't stop straight, so pray for me Poor liquor for my niggas, but hey, don't wait for me Cause I'm trying to cheat death, she had to bury my ass You know the cliche, life's a bitch, well I'm gonna marry that ass And sign a prenup, think back to when we tore the skating rink up Rapping and we scrapping, we got older, hit the team club Gave mean mugs to niggas, but we went to all the girls Then we went back to the crib, thinking we had saw the world No sir, came a long way from having mama so far It's hard to think these hoes at some point was so pure But now we play the game when it's over, send me back. I swear I'm not gonna change a thing. I swear I'm not gonna change a thing. This for them niggas climbing heaven stairwell. Yeah. Hey, farewell. I pray you niggas farewell. This for them niggas climbing heaven stairwell. Hey, farewell. Hey, farewell. Yeah. Hey, farewell. Yeah.